when we say your front yard becomes the place where people will meet Jesus doesn't mean they'll all receive Jesus. It does mean they'll all meet Jesus because the Spirit of God lives within the people of God. And our students show up filled with the Spirit. And so they do experience the Lord as a host, you get to put Christ on display through you. So they will meet Jesus, and uh, many end up receiving Jesus. But what a great way to use a front yard. James chapter 1, we're going to finish James today. Uh, chapter 1, that is, the truth we need to know when. And uh, when this morning is this, when we evaluate our religion. Now, as we jump into the text, I, I recognize within the church, we often use religion in a negative way. We think there's, it's not religion, it is relationship. Maybe you've heard people say that. It's not, no, I'm not religious, I have a relationship. But religion does not have to be negative. Here's actually what the last two verses in James say, verse of chapter 1. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion, see that's positive there, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So, we're gonna simply look. Is our religion worthless, verse 26? Or is it pleasing to our God and Father, verse 27? But to answer that question first, we have to say, well, what is religion? Religion, this is simply a, a definition that you could grab from the dictionary. Religion is a defined set of beliefs. So there's beliefs involved and then practices that reveals devotion to your God. So there are multiple, as you know, religions. And what makes religion is, well, there's a set of beliefs, and then a set of corresponding practices that express those beliefs that reveals devotion. That's religion. What the text indicates is, verse 26, that man's religion is worthless, but verse 27 described a religion that was pure and undefiled. So I want us to capture that religion can be worthless or it can be pure. It can be pleasing to God. So religion doesn't have to be a bad word. You have a religion. You have a set of beliefs and practices that reveal your devotion to God. The question is, is that worthless or is it pleasing? Pure is that which is pleasing to our God. And three very simple tests, if you will, to evaluate your own personal religion. Verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, so you consider yourself religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So what James is simply saying, if you think you are pleasing to God, that your set of beliefs and practices reveals a devotion to the God revealed in the scriptures, but, what? Your tongue is unbridled. Whether you're a horse person or not, you know what that means? It means your tongue is what? Out of control. You just fly off. And, hey, just say what I think. 
There's no bridle. There's no control on the tongue. He says, that religion is, is worthless. So, how do you evaluate whether your religion is pure or worthless? It's revealed by what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth? We're not going to spend a lot of time here because in chapter 3 of James, he goes extensively into the power of the tongue. So I'll see you that Sunday morning. And we'll spend much more time on the unbridling or the controlling of the tongue. Here's, though, what is key to understand why what comes out of your mouth proves the worth of your religion. The good man from Jesus, the good man out of the good treasure of his, of his what? Of his heart. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure, it doesn't say, but what's it implying? Of his heart brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. See, the reason we can evaluate our religion by what comes out of our mouth it is this simply. What comes out of the mouth reveals what's in the heart. It's worth, worthless religion is revealed by an unbridled tongue because an unbridled tongue reveals an unchanged heart. Make sure you captured that. The unbridled tongue reveals the unchanged heart. And it's the unchanged heart. We're going to see this three times. It's the unchanged heart that ultimately reveals worthless religion. You can have a set of beliefs and practices that supposedly reveal devotion to God. But what makes it worthless? Unchanged heart. Expressed by an unbridled tongue. More on that a couple weeks. Verse 27. Oh, sorry. The unbridled tongue reveals an unchanged heart. Said it. You didn't know if you should write it down. <laughs> unbridled tongue reveals an unchanged heart. Verse 27. Second test. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress. So how do you know if your religion, your practices please the Lord? It's revealed by who you help. It's revealed by who do you help. All of us help some people, but only some of us help certain types of people. Once again, uh, if you've never done this, here would be a fascinating read for you this week. Read the book of James and then go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. And what you'll discover is many of the things that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount are repeated, not in exact verbiage, but the same principles come out in the book of James. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Who do you love? Well, people who love me. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to what? Receive back the same amount. You see the principle? Everybody helps people who can help them back. That's not pleasing to God. That's normal. But now we get to something different. Love your enemies 
and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Pure religion. We'll see why, what makes it pure, but here's what it's revealed by. Pure religion helps people who cannot reciprocate. See, when James says helps widows, visits widows and orphans in their distress, he is saying what pleases God is when you do not what's ordinary, helping people who help you, but you do that which is extraordinary. You help people who, who cannot. It's not just that they won't. They cannot help you in return. That's radically different. So, why is that pure? Jesus goes on. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you will do not what normal people do, what is ordinary. You'll do, you'll be abnormal. You'll be extraordinary because that's who your father is. Your heavenly father helps people who can't do anything to reciprocate. And when you show mercy and when you show kindness like that, it reveals you've been changed. You have a new heart. The heart of the heavenly father. Because the old heart only helps people who can reciprocate. The new heart is the heart of the Father, and the Father helps people who can't pay it back. Pure religion helps people who cannot reciprocate. Mercy and kindness to the ungrateful and the unable to reciprocate reveal, see, a changed heart. I hope you're capturing. That's what we said about the tongue. That's what we're saying about who we help. It reveals... Have I had a changed heart? I don't want you to think there's a outward checklist that makes religion pure. There's an outward action that's connected to a changed heart that makes your religion pure and pleasing to God. So specifically, Let's talk about who we help. And what can we do in our present day for orphans and for widows? Well, here's the reality of orphans around us. 50% of the homeless population, 60% of girls and women rescued from sex trafficking raids, and 75% of those incarcerated spent time in foster care. Foster care is ground zero. In the United States, a child enters the foster care system every two minutes. The need is great. In Northeast Florida, there are more than 1,500 children in foster care and many waiting for a forever family. This is the local mission field. We have an opportunity to impact the lives of children and families in our community here and now and for eternity. I can remember when we were dating, um, being at an event and them speaking about, you know, orphans and adoption and showing this video. And we kind of just looked at each other and we were like, we're going to do something about this. Thinking through the first placement we got, my mind was just exploding with what is going on. We're picking up a brand new baby from the hospital. What's this gonna look like? I'm back to changing diapers again. I thought I was over this. And the first time I put the little guy in my arms and I sat down on the couch and we fell asleep together and it was just like he was one of my kids at that point. And all those fears went out the window real fast. 
one and two newly licensed foster families will quit within the first year when they are not supported. If the church wraps around a foster family and supports them, 90% of those foster families will stay in and stick with it and continue saying yes to caring for the orphan. See, what I hope you heard there is pretty powerful. Now, when it comes to foster care and adoption, we tend to think always the front line of fostering and adopting. But did you hear how many people want to and start, but don't end up continuing? Why? They don't have the support. And so one of the things I am really, really grateful for is that um, a few of our ladies during Nehemiah wrote on the rock, abandoned, forgotten children, that was here the whole way through Nehemiah, that which breaks their heart. And part of what God has done in their heart is to say, I'm not just going to be broken about that. Uh, they have said, what we want to do is we want to simply rally anybody who'd be willing to come alongside those who are on the front lines of fostering and adopting and support them to provide practical help so they don't end up giving up after the first year. It's such a simple but transformational concept to say, let's provide support. So I want to... I want to let you know that out in the courtyard afterwards, we're going to have uh, three of our gazebos set up tables there with three opportunities specifically to demonstrate we're willing, we want to help people who can't reciprocate, but we're going to show mercy as we have received mercy. Uh, one table will be if you would like to say, I'm going to be on the front line. Many of you know uh, my story that my mom, after us kids were all married, and we were just beginning to have our own children, so just at the moment she was going to become uh, a grandmother and enjoy those years, she made a decision that... There were children who nobody wanted because it was in the mid to late 80s and children were being born HIV positive and so families didn't want them. And so she started fostering babies who were HIV positive and actually fostered dozens of them and, and then ended up adopting four girls who had been born HIV positive. Two had tested negative, because back then, after a few years, the body would develop its own antibodies, and two remained positive, and, and two uh, developed their own antibodies. So I have four sisters. One of them, uh, who remained positive, died a few years ago from HIV. But my... Uh, I still have three sisters that my mom basically gave up being a grandmother to start a whole nother family. And they are, they're all my, my kids' age. Though she lived in Pennsylvania and I was in Florida uh, and didn't see it up close on a daily basis, if she could be here, she would tell you the folks that provided support and help made all the difference. Uh, 
and her being able to stay in it long term. So we'll have a table. Maybe you want to go. I'm going to take that step. So what's it mean to start fostering? What's it mean to adopt? Or you may go, I want to be, I want to be the person that helps those who are on the front lines stay in the race long term. And then there's a third way that we can help those in our city. Maybe you know what it means to be a guardian ad litem. Any, any folks in here who are guardian ad litem? That's interesting. We had, actually, I had a few on Thursday night. That simply means that you will help specifically an individual child in providing support for them when they have their court dates and stepping in. It's a Latin for simply being, showing up at court to bring suit. So there's a way that, that you can step in. It takes some training, and it takes about five to ten hours a month uh, it, to serve as a guardian and litem, but you are coming alongside and doing what? Caring for folks who can't reciprocate. But you saw the sign. Uh, God never meant for children to be without a, a family. And so it's a way, again, to provide some family. So as you consider uh, who you help, that might be <clears throat> one of those three ways that you would stop by. I hope you will and see how you might make a difference there. That's orphans. Uh, what about widows? What's unique about what the scripture says about widows is that need could very well be a part of every single person's family here. Orphans hit our family uniquely because of the, my, uh, the step my mom took. But widows and the caring for them uh, is going to be a, potentially a part of every family. When Paul writes to Timothy... So an older pastor to a younger pastor and how the church is to function. He writes to him, honor widows who are widows indeed. And that's, that's like a title that he wants us to understand. Widows indeed. Here's what it means. If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. I don't know if you've ever had this unpacked for you, but a, a widow indeed is a widow who the scripture defines is over 60 years old and has no family to help them in their need. That's a widow indeed. And the church is that family to help. But if there are children or grandchildren involved, then it is the biblical responsibility for the children or grandchildren, not the churches. It's the children and grandchildren's responsibility to provide for that widow, for the one who can't take care of themselves. Now, you may go, yeah, I know that. I want to acknowledge that I am so grateful that it was as a 22-year-old sitting here, uh, I wasn't on staff yet, I was just a member of this church, sitting right back in that area, I remember the very first time, and I went to Bible college, that this got unpacked for me here, that I had a biblical responsibility toward my parents if they would get to a place where they couldn't take care of themselves. And I was so grateful the Lord prepared us because not long after that, Jackie, my wife's, her dad died when she was only 28. And her mom 
needed help. And it wasn't, ah, do we want to do that? Is it convenient to do that? Can we afford to do that? None of those were relevant questions. Why? Because we had a biblical responsibility to care. And so we simply found out what it was that her mom needed that she couldn't afford, and it was our privilege for a lot of years to participate in helping her. And, and I say that not to put ourselves on a pedestal. I say that in gratitude that I was a member of a church that taught me my biblical responsibility. And CFC, I hope we will be people who fulfill our biblical responsibility to our parents. And that might mean financially. Sometimes that's not the need. Sometimes it's simply to be present, to provide some meaningful relationship. Actually, sit with, to spend time with. Uh, one of the things that I'm really grateful uh, that happened with my wife, Jackie, when her mom was living up in Florence, South Carolina, and had a neighbor who was so helpful to her. We had a widow across the street from us that Jackie simply made of, in her mind, I want to be to that woman what I want others to be for my mom. And so, once a week, she took her to the grocery store. And very slowly, <laughs> you know, that's the sort of stuff that would drive you crazy. <laughs> but very slowly walked around the grocery store and helped her get her stuff. She didn't need the money, but she needed somebody to drive her there. And she desperately appreciated relationship. Because all day, every day by yourself, that's no fun. Connected her to our amazing Grays ministry here then. I want to see ultimately moved to uh, Miami. Maria did. One of the things she missed most was our amazing Grays ministry. Because it provided in her time of need. Let's not be so busy and so into what we want to do with our lives that we don't fulfill this biblical responsibility. Here's how strongly the scripture says it to us, church. If anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith is worse than an unbeliever. See, that really rocked me. I, I don't know how I got through Bible college and didn't know this, but I didn't. And I was so glad that the Lord had prepared us, that we knew, and I want you to hear me clearly, that we knew that if it meant we had to, we could not take care of mom and give to the church, then our priority was take care of mom. I want you to hear that. Please never think, well, we should give to the church and not take care of mom or take care of you. <laughs> I, 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 I have this written down for my kids. <laughs> It's in the firebox. <laughs> Opening paragraph. You are responsible for us when we... I think, I think this is, just look at our culture, friends. This is one of the ways we show we have, we've been changed. That we have the heart of the Father. Very practically, we do not abandon our household in their time of need. So widows and orphans, who we help makes all the difference in revealing 
whether our religion is worthless or whether it's pure. Third test. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Pure religion, your religion is revealed by how you engage with the world. James specifically says to keep oneself unstained. So let me paint the picture for you. The scripture says our sins were as scarlet, but by our faith in Jesus, they've been washed and we are whiter than snow. So in, in the picture of what James is saying, that, that we through faith in Jesus have been washed pure white, don't be stained by the world. Now, now what does he mean by the world? Not the physical world, but the thoughts, the philosophies, the agenda, the priorities, the practices that are at the heart of those separated from God. See, those who have not been reconciled to God have thoughts, practices, priorities, philosophies that are contrary to we who have been reconciled to God. And that idea here is this. It's not just don't do what they do. Don't think like they think. Don't prioritize what they prioritize. Don't love what they love. Or it's a staining of what Christ has made pure. So let me give you a picture. Imagine just before staycation and all of our kids and grandkids invade our house, Jackie buys this beautiful magazine furniture, which, which all designers, they love this look. And it's great for a picture. But if she brings that home and then our 12 grandkids show up, what's the rule? That sofa? <laughs> Don't get near it, right? Because if they get near it, what are they going to do? They're going to stain it. They're going to have peanut butter and jelly that they just enjoyed on their face, and they're going to walk over here, and they're going to rub their face on it, right? That's what happens. And those sippy cups that don't spill, they spill, and then there's like, and without doubt, one of my kids will come over here to watch their kids and then they'll spill their cup of coffee. We always have at least one good cup of coffee on the sofa every time. It's just vacation. Thank you, Christy, if you're watching. That's my daughter. It's just her. She always spills a cup of coffee. The only way to keep the stain away is to stay away. Now, that's the Christian principle right there. No, seriously, what? The only way, this is how I grew up, the only way to keep the stain away was to stay away. So if we're going to be washed whiter than snow and not be stained by the world, we have to stay away. But here's the problem with that. I do not ask you to take them out of the world Who's saying this? This is actually Jesus praying to the Father about his disciples. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And they're not of the world, even that I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. You see, pure religion is neither isolated from the world nor stained by the world. Yes, James says, don't be stained. Be 
unstained. But that doesn't, see, we have then wrongly concluded the only way to keep the stain away is to stay away. But that's not biblical. <laughs> we have been called as equally to be engaged and unstained. So how do you do that? Well, you know, and she's not going to, but if Jackie brought that white couch home and insisted, you know what we would do? We would buy a case of Scotchgard, and after every meal, I would just coat it again with Scotchgard. Because we're going to have a couch, you got to, maybe you, maybe you have one of these rooms. I don't know why you do, but maybe you do. Maybe you have one of those rooms that people are supposed to look at, just not ever go in. <laughs> don't do that. Well, you can do whatever you want. I don't want to have that in my house. If we, gotta, if we have a place to sit, then let's sit there. So if we're going to be engaged in the world, let's be engaged. Let's not be staying. How, how do we... How do we scotch guard ourselves as believers? He said it like four times in the text. It's, he says repeatedly, sanctify, set apart, not, not out of, but in the world, but not of. You've heard that expression, uh, in the world, but not of. In other words, be a used couch that is sanctified by truth. This, this is the Scotch guard. That as I engage with the world, this is, don't, don't what, what did we just study last week? <laughs> Being hearers of the word and doers. This is the connection. We are hearers and doers of the word. The word of God is saturating our lives so that we don't isolate from the world and we don't get stained by the world. We saturate ourselves with the scriptures. Can I, can I encourage you again? Every single day, scotch guard yourself. You get my picture? Every single day, be in the scriptures. Renew your mind with truth. Because if you do not renew your mind with truth, then the scripture says you're going to be conformed to the world. That's simply another image expression. Stained. Don't run away. We're useless if we run away. We're useless if we're stained. <laughs> We've lost our saltiness is the image that Jesus uses then. So be engaged and be sanctified. Be protected. Read the truth. Meditate on the truth. Memorize the truth. Guard your heart with the truth. Every, every one of us, as disciple of Jesus, is going to either be prone to be stained or to be unengaged. You, you have a leaning. You're either staying away so that you don't get stained or you're engaged and you've lost your saltiness. You've been stained. You see, we all have a leaning. And as disciples of Jesus, I want to grow sanctified like him and engaged like him. See, I love what seems to be a contradiction, which is not a contradiction. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God loved the world. But then the same author, John, turns around and says, do not love the world. What? God loved the world. Don't love the world? Yeah, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't understand. How is the love of the Father not in me if I love the world when he? 
love the world. Is that, con is that contradictory? <laughs> I hope you see this. God so loved the people of the world that when we have a heart changed by him, we love the people of the world, but what don't we love? The things in the world. See, pure religion is engaged, but unstained, sanctified. It's a love for lost people. Instead of a love for things and self that demonstrates, ah, oh, I have a changed heart. You see what happened? I stopped loving something I used to love, and I started loving something that I didn't used to love. Why? Because now I have the heart of the Father, and I love what he loved, lost people, and I no longer love what I used to love, the stuff, the things of the world, myself. That's the evidence of a changed heart. And when I love what he loves, that pleases him. I hope you're hearing. At core, what's the difference between worthless religion and pure religion? A changed heart. It's visual, it's visibly demonstrated by some specific actions. A bridled tongue, helping people who can't help themselves in the world, but not of the world. Those are the visible demonstrations. But, but I showed you from scripture, all three of them flow from a, a changed heart. See, fundamentally, the difference between worthless religion and pure religion it's not what we do. <laughs> it's what we have been made. A, a new person with a changed heart in Christ. This is why the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Because we're a new person, because our heart has been changed, then what happens? Old things pass away, new things come. Old loves cease, new loves begin. Old practices cease, new practices begin. People we used to not help, we now help. Why? Because we are new creatures, and we're new creatures because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. See, I don't want this to boil down to, are you doing the right stuff? Are you in Christ? Have your, has your heart been changed through faith in Jesus? When it has, and James is going to unpack this, it's coming. When it has, it's visibly verifiable. But what's visible isn't what makes the difference. It's the changed heart. So I'm going to invite our guys to come and, and share with us the elements of the Lord's Supper because they remind us of the person who changes our hearts. Thanks, Tom. If this is unfamiliar to you, If you're joining us on the live stream, I want to encourage you, don't, don't tune out now. Stay with, this is an important part of our worship. This unleavened cracker, what's it the reminder of? 
the body of Christ. This cup, a reminder of the blood of Jesus. This is the reminder of the life of Jesus who was sent into the world and engaged the world, but who was unstained by the world. And he gave himself for us who were guilty before God, deserving of the wrath of God. And he took our penalty. So that we, listen, so that we with changed hearts might become the life of Jesus lived out in our world. So that we would speak with bridled tongues and help people who can't reciprocate. And that we would be engaged and unstained. We'd be the body of Christ. You see that? He gave himself on our behalf so that we might live out the life that he lived. That through faith in him, our sin would be forgiven and we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. So as you prepare to take, would you simply bow with me and, and thank the Father for his sending of the Lord Jesus on your behalf. And would you examine your heart now? Who do you love? Only people who can return the favor? If that's so, would you confess that to the Lord? Acknowledge, Lord, that's not how you love me. If you're isolated, if you're staying away to try to keep the stain away, you confess that to the Lord. Or maybe you are engaged, but you find yourself thinking like the world, loving what the world loves, prioritizing what the world prioritizes. You need to confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, sanctify me by your truth. Lord, thank you that your grace abounds, that you love us perfectly. And you invite us not to hide our sin, but to confess our sin. That we might experience your mercy and your grace and we would walk in newness of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your obedience even to the point of death. Father, for sending your spirit into your children so that we could live as you intend us to live. We take now in remembrance of our Savior. Let's take together. I want us to sing these words now as our prayer unto Jesus.
This is my body presented This is my sacrifice For it is written I'm freed and forgiven by you Here's my life Here's my life May my life be living proof that you are good May I be living proof Or if you'd stand with me as we declare these words together Let the lost hear their names As children called home May love be displayed in my words Full of grace and your mercy Here's my life Here's my life May my life be living proof that you are good take my life take my life take my life and prove that you have made me new may I be What a joy it has been to be with you guys this morning. Let's go and be the proof of Christ changing our hearts. God bless you guys.